0: Welcome to the Forging Honor Podcast. I'm Jonathan George. And I'm Benjamin Jones. Here at The Forge, we explore what it means to live as Christian men. Along the way, we'll be doing weekly challenges to build character through action. We are by no means experts, just two young Christian men trying to make sense of a wild world. That's right. We're doing our best to learn and hope
1: you'll join us on the journey. And if you want to get directly involved, go to forginghonor.com to find information on
0: how to join our community. This is Episode 9 faithful in the unrighteous wealth
1: all right we can we can jump right into this conversation so this week we have an exciting we have an exciting guest we have Elias Vetter's on the show Elias go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit here
2: uh yeah hi I'm Elias Vetter's. um I've known JJ for, we learned that we're coming up soon to the point where we've known each other longer than we haven't known each other. Uh, Um, A mighty marker indeed. Yeah, that's going to be a weird point in our relationship. And then I met Banjo in college through JJ. um, And I'm, I'm super excited to be here. Somebody thought that I would have fun things to say about this.
1: Well, I'm, I'm excited because the, the topics, not only for this episode, but also for next episode, are topics that Elias has gotten me thinking about more um, than most folks do. Uh, introduced uh, the book we're actually going to be looking at today a little bit. Um, so in, in my mind, at least in the worlds that I'm in, he's he's more of, of an expert on these topics than I am. Now, I... Like Elias would say, "I'm not an expert." Blah, blah, blah. Well, you might say, "I don't know. Who knows? What would you say, <laughs> Elias? Are you an expert?"
2: Uh, I'm not an expert. I just have happened to read a lot of books that happen to be about this topic. Fair uh, and I didn't realize that I had read so many books on these topics uh, until you had brought up doing this. So, yeah.
0: uh, so Elias, what what is the? How would you? Uh, how would you phrase that topic? Like, how what would what would you name this topic? And then, how did you get so interested in it? Where did you know? Where did all the reading well, come from?
1: Back up, back up, banjo. We should we should introduce what we're what we're doing here before we even. <laughs> I, get have into so it. Okay. Well, I have so many questions. Questions. Okay. I have questions. I jumped ahead of ourselves. We had an introduction, and, and it's fun. Anyway, we need to get to the challenge wrap up so we can kind of get to what we're talking about. Um. The challenges, again, last for 10 days, Monday through Friday for two weeks, pretty straightforward. Simple daily tasks to grow as men. This previous challenge uh, had to do with looking at the spaces around us, going through our houses, room by room, maybe our car, maybe considering the outdoor spaces that we have domain over, uh, and considering kind of where we want them to be, visualizing what we want them to be like. I don't know, this, this one was a little bit of meditation, a little bit of journaling, Um I re- I found the numbers in discord so all y'all correct me if I'm wrong but I had 6 days banjo's 6 days and elias 4 uh, is that accurate that, okay. I think that's
0: accurate I might have had one more day that I didn't that I missed putting in the marker but I I'll I'll, I'll live with 6 I there you didn't, go. this one this one was the hardest one for me to to do I think right not, so c- circling back around to your question there banjo
1: ask that to elias again because Um, it is kind of an odd, like, this is not a topic I think we as men think about like, oh, my room is my room. Eh." And I I think this is something that at least I don't think about very much. I know Elias thinks about a lot more.
0: Yeah. So to, to regroup then, uh, Elias, what, what is this topic that we're dealing with? Uh, and how did you get so interested in it?
2: Yeah, so it's it's a little bit... JJ posed it as like a dual topic of both um, the environments that we live in and then also consumerism and being conscious consumers. Um, I studied economics in, in college, and consumerism was a big part of that just because um, we wanted to do economics in a, in a Christian way. And I think it's a pretty... You know, universal Christian concept that stuff isn't the end all be all. Uh, and then, as for the environment stuff, I mean, for a long time I was listening to a lot of audiobooks um, through the library. And I had, I got like four books into the Game of Thrones series. Uh, and I hated it. It was such a bad series I was like well i'll just read whatever i can find next that is available that looks interesting because i'm so bored reading game of thrones and i happened to read the life-changing magic of tidying up by marie kondo and i was absolutely blown away it is one of my favorite books um i raid mckay's for copies of these because they're like a dollar they're in the self-help section at mckay's and uh, I give them away as wedding gifts and um, graduation gifts to pretty much anyone who invites me to these things. Uh, I actually just recently ran out, so maybe this afternoon I'll be running yeah, to McKay's my again. copy?
1: I, I, I still don't have a copy. You might have started think, doing this after I got married, but <laughs>
0: still. I might have. I,
2: it took me a while to realize how cheap they were at McKay's because they are sure. dirt cheap. So, so it's... Good.
0: The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up by Marie yeah. Kondo. That's it? Okay.
2: Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a really fun, really good little book. Um, it's really cute, too. Like, the cover is just a nice watercolor image. But, um, yeah, it was a really good book. And I, I originally started um, at the time I was living in my parents' house uh, over break, and I didn't have much space. Um, I was actually living in the laundry room at the time. Um, so I didn't have much space to do this with, here. You know, <laughs> But I still wanted to do it. And I ended up this first time doing Marie Kondo's method. I threw out four garbage bags worth of my stuff from just the one room that I occupied uh, in my parents' house.
1: And, and those four garbage bags were not your, your parents' laundry because it was the laundry room.
2: No, no, no. This this was I had I got rid of two bags of clothes, which I think is something that's really interesting for us men is you know, we always think, oh well, we don't have that many clothes. Oh, we don't have that right. much stuff. I mean, you look at a bachelor pad and it's super bare. But then when you actually go through and start using Marie Kondo's method, you realize that you have two garbage bags full of clothes that you can get rid of that you haven't worn or that don't fit you or that you, you know, used to like, but you don't like anymore. Or it's a hand me down used to think, Oh, maybe I'll wear this, but you never really wanted to wear it. Um, so it's just, it's a really fascinating thing to do it for the first time and realize how much stuff I have accumulated that I didn't realize that I had accumulated um medicine cabinets are also just a great place to look you know right you so get, sorry
1: sorry I, I just wanted to ask i know that having read life changing magic of tidying up mm-hmm. i know marie kondo is not just about get rid of all your stuff right she's not a minimalist so i i'd be curious to hear kind of your perspective on that like marie kondo does encourage getting rid of the things you don't need but what sets her apart from say, the minimalist movement?
2: Uh, I would say that the line is incredibly blurry. And that is also just a function of her environment that she um, was living in. So she's Japanese. She lived in Tokyo. And that's primarily where she got her start is um, Japanese women in Tokyo who needed to clean up their houses because they're space in Tokyo is at a ridiculously high premium. And so storage is really expensive and cluttered houses and rooms became a very common thing. And so in Japan, in Tokyo it is very common for Marie Kondo to encourage minimalism in those contexts. There's just not a lot of room to expand. And so by necessity, you have to live a minimalist life. Now, I think that, you know, some of those recommendations come through and I think it's easy to read minimalism into Marie Kondo. But at the end of the day, her metrics is, does it bring you joy? And if it brings you joy, you should keep it. Um, and so when you have space, you have more things that you can use. You don't have to get rid of everything. You shouldn't get rid of stuff for the sake of getting rid of it. Uh, you should get rid of it because it doesn't bring you joy. Um,
0: So Elias with, with the, you know, the whole bring you joy, I've heard this, uh, I haven't read the book, but I've heard that phrase before. uh, And minimalism has always been very attractive to me, even though I'm not a minimalist by any stretch of the imagination.
1: Not, not at all. No, but,
0: uh, (laughs) but I'm fascinated. Um, As I'm also fascinated by hoarders, which I want to get to later, but um, you're talking about the, the method of Marie Kondo. Could you give a, like a brief summary on what that method is for those of us who don't know?
2: Absolutely. Um, and it starts actually, uh, with the challenge that we just did. So before you do anything else, Marie Kondo encourages people to visualize, um, what their life looks like clutter free, um, and so that's kind of what I did these past two weeks. I went room by room uh, in my house. So each day that I did do my honor journal, which is not very many, um, I went I picked a room of the house that I wanted to think about and I thought when I'm living my ideal life, you know when I'm living my wildest fantasy life, what is this room in my house used for? Um, so I think the living room, was probably the one that I, I nailed the most when it came to my journals. Like I want this to be a place that has a TV that I can use, but the TV is not necessarily the focus point, but it's a place that's comfortable for people to come in, spend time, and chat. Um, and actually, I ended up completely reorganizing the, uh, the living room because I had inspiration now because I had put this into context of what I wanted it to be. Um, but obviously we don't have time to go through her whole method because she wrote a whole book about it. Essentially. Sure, sure. Um, the next step is to begin discarding stuff. And she has several different ways to. Um, mm, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's I keep wanting to say methodical but that's not an actual word could be Um, just got to say it loudly and (laughs) methodize methodize She has several different methods um to help you along your way and she thinks that they're good to do things in a certain order in a certain way because you'll get a better result and essentially she has an order in which you should start discarding items by category and not by place so she very much encourages you to do everything of a specific kind at one time. So that way you don't get to another room and you're like, Oh, I have all these other pens. Did I throw enough pens away before? Do I need more pens still? Um, so have all of your pens, all of your knickknacks, she calls, um, pens and other similar office supplies, Komono or little things in Japanese. Um, And then there's an order you go through your stuff. So the categories begins with clothes and ends with memorabilia. You start with clothes because those are the easiest for you to look at and immediately say, this sparks joy. This does not spark joy. And then it becomes increasing in difficulty to determine whether it sparks joy until you get to memorabilia. Um, Because very clearly memorabilia is going to be that item that, requires the most thought. Does this spark joy? Does this provide utility for me or does it not? And the hope is that as you've worked through this entire list, you have developed the sense of what sparks joy. And so when you get to memorabilia, you're not immediately clouded by, oh, these are sentimental moments from my past. I need to keep every single item you've developed that intuition of, okay, this sparks joy. No, this doesn't spark joy. uh, And allows you to tackle those more difficult things. And then afterwards, she has a special way of folding clothes, which I have adopted wholesale in my life. And I think um, Lila Grace has adopted for uh, the two of you, JJ. Yes, Um, my wife. (laughs) She's very proud of your shirt, George. The
1: folding folding in our house... uh, got much
0: better after we got married. (laughs) (laughs) So, so I'm curious. Uh, So, so the idea is, you know, with the, with the memorabilia, right? You've, you've reached a point where you're able to identify the feelings of joy within yourself so that even with these prized possessions that you have, you're still able to tell the difference between one that is just like a bag of memories uh, and one that is like an explosion of, euphoria for lack of a better word like uh, is there does she say more about that idea well
2: i think i appreciate that she leaves it vague because i think that having a specific criteria that you meet for throwing memorabilia away um is a little difficult um i feel like memorabilia becomes very subjective what's worth keeping and so she has guidelines for the rest of it, like you should only have so many books or you should only have so many different, um, personal care items like Q-tips and the like. Um, but when it comes to memorabilia, it tends to be a little bit vague. And I think that's because different things mean different things to other people, which is why it's at the end. You've built up the intuition at this point, you know, it sparks joy. Um, and what level is valuable to keep you know, I, some people probably have kept a lot more memorabilia than I have. I just, I don't get a lot out of memorabilia. I don't take as many pictures as I should. And so, you know, I was able to get a rid of a lot more memorabilia than my wife was when we did this the last time. She held on to a lot more things. And that's not a bad thing. Uh, it's just, she had, receives more joy from those items than I do.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's a really interesting concept. So one of the things that I did with this challenge is, uh, I, I spent time, the thing that I always think about with, in terms of space, especially cause I knew we were going to talk about Marie Kondo, uh, who I'm fascinated by, um, one of the things that I'm interested in is, is clutter and, you know, and all of the things that seem to overwhelm the physical space, uh, just in the sheer mess of it. Right. Um, and my mom, when we were growing up, was very, very organized. And she was always trying to figure out a new way, you know, to organize the space. So we must have been through like 83, you know, bajillion different ways of organizing a space um, that worked to varying degrees of success. But I think as a result of that, maybe not as a result, but a byproduct, I've always been really fascinated by hoarders uh, who have, you know, no organizational sense or dividing line between what's a piece of trash and what's a treasure, right? Um, so, I started watching the show, actually, uh, this week as part of the challenge. I wanted to look through um, and see, like, what are the lives of hoarders like, really? Um, so, I watched the show. It was on Netflix. Um, and one of the things that really struck me is uh, you know we're talking about these items that spark joy for people Uh, one of the things that stood out is that hoarders, um, have lost the ability to, to tell the difference, you know, every item sparks joy for them. There was one woman on the show who, uh, every, you know, she couldn't throw anything away, um, because she had to touch everything. She had to see everything. And every time she touched it and she saw it, she was like, oh, but this is, this is really precious. This is really important. Um, like in what way? Like, it, did she associate it with a memory or something, or was it
1: just because so, that was how she explored the world? Like
0: sometimes. So I also there's a there's actually a revisionist history podcast episode about this. Uh, Dragon Psychology 101, I think, is the name of the episode. Um, and in that episode, uh, Malcolm Gladwell explains um, that for for some hoarders, um, some of the time it's uh, if you have a particular item. Um, you can't throw it away because there are certain memories are atta- that are attached to that day. And if you throw it away, it's like losing that memory. It's like losing that connection to your past. And so you kind of just collect this, mm. um, stack of things, um, that don't have mm. any actual meaning, but you can't throw it away because it's your memories, right? So like,
1: for example, on, on the one level, I
0: have the, uh,
1: the movie tickets from my first date with my wife, or it wasn't our first No, that we are our first like official date as a dating couple was a movie um so that was our i have those movie tickets but it'd be the same thing like maybe i saved a burger wrapper from a later date because i was afraid to forget
0: that date or yeah or it would be like any time that you had lunch with your wife you had to save everything from that date. Like you couldn't throw anything I away. Couldn't get
1: rid of the receipt. Couldn't
0: get rid of the, right. the and so it just, wrapping for the food. Yeah. So it just piles up in the house, right? Um, you know, for It's not always like that. For some people, it's um, they just can't get rid of anything, right? It's it's literally like Murray Kondo, everything sparks joy, you know? And so they, they have to hold on to that stuff, which is just really sad. But also very human to watch i think looking at it that that particular struggle and addiction i think is a really uh striking visual representation of the human condition you know we uh we seek after these idols that pile up in our home and then we become like them you know um and so i think there's a lot of value in marie kondo's like hey make sure that your stuff isn't ruling you you know make sure that you have control over the things that are in your life. But do you have any idea, Elias, what she might, you know, could, could Marie Kondo go into a hoarder's house and, and reorganize, or is that just not her scene? Is that just a different combat ring?
2: Um, It's a great question. I think Marie Kondo's definition of hoarders, uh, you have a very low threshold for entry into that category. Um, She, in her book, even just says storage experts are hoarders. Um, it, the whole principle of out of sight, out of mind does not coexist within her philosophy so anyone you know, who has a bunch of stuff stored away can fall into that hoarder camp as far as Marie Kondo is concerned. Storage should not be our priority, it should be about having the level of stuff that allows us to easily access and remember those things that we have
1: um, If I recall though and- she, she's not opposed 100 percent the storage uh for example if it's a, a seasonal item that only comes out at one particular holiday yes yeah, But there yeah. is she does she does require that those items are um curated well right they're not you don't just have every christmas item hidden away somewhere but you do you do go through those as well and when the when the then when the season is upon you, you only have the items that spark joy.
2: Right, and I think that gets to, that idea of being selective gets to one of those ideas um, that makes Marie Kondo very oddly Christian. So she's not a Christian, she comes from Japan. Uh, She's coming from a Shinto Buddhist background. And so she sees souls in everything that you have. Everything that you have matters. Everything it has a soul. And so when you aren't utilizing an item, when you aren't um, using an item for what it was intended for and receiving joy from that, you are not allowing that item to fulfill its purpose. And you are not respecting that item well. And mm. so that idea of items having souls is obviously not very Christian, but it just struck me. And this is kind of where that title comes from for the episode. Um, We're supposed to be faithful in the small things. We are supposed to have dominion over God's creation. And when we let stuff pile up that we forget about, um, you know, when we have shirts tucked away in the back of our drawer that we never see and we never use, we are not utilizing those items that God gave us well. We are not stewarding the things that God gave us well. Um, and I think that that's something that we don't tend to think about. But if we're not faithful in the small things, we can't be faithful in the big things. And so I think it's really important for us to very seriously consider how we're using the goods that we have. Are we treating them well? Are we using them for number one, the purposes that they were intended? And number two, are we using them and is it bringing joy or utility to us in some way? And if it's not, you know, there's a good chance that it's just getting in the way of what you want to do. Whether that is, you know, you want to have uh space with which to do journaling or devotions or reading, um, or it's getting in the way of you uh, spending time on your hobbies or with, your wife, because you're just spending all of your time cleaning up this clutter around this clutter that you don't really use and you don't particularly enjoy, but you haven't gotten rid of.
0: That's a good point, JJ. How did you feel about? Like, how did you experience this challenge this week? Was it easy for you? Was it difficult for you? Have you? I mean, it sounds like you and Elias have talked about this stuff before. Was it? Was it kind of natural for you to get into the swing of things?
1: Yes and no. I, I, um, let's see, I, I was first introduced to Marie Kondo and Elias let me borrow uh, a copy of his, I, this would have been very, very new into my marriage. Um, so my wife and I went through and, and did the Marie Kondo method on a lot of our stuff at our little apartment at the time. So there was, there wasn't a ton in there and we actually got rid of surprising amount of, uh, amount of stuff. Um, one thing I know Elias does that I, I have not done is he he has revisited this multiple times, right? So it's it's not something that you're one and done, you know, and then and then you can forget about it. You're going to accumulate more stuff eventually, unless you're just the most rigorous person on that on that front. Um, and so kind of getting back into it, it's it was, what do I want for this space? And 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 one of the things I kind of realized was. You know, I I have most of the spaces in my house right now, anyway. Like in the future, I, I want to change stuff about my home, but like right now, my spaces are what that what I want them to be. That said, they are often filled with clutter and paraphernalia and knickknacks and things that I don't need. And so that was kind of the what does my life look like where my brain, my mind is not clouded by these items? Um and and Kind of to Elias's point, what does that allow me to do if I'm not every morning I got to straighten up my desk so I can work? What if my desk was just already clean because it didn't have all of this paraphernalia on it that I have on here? Um, and and so that was helpful for me doing the visualizing to the extent that Elias did. I think is that's never been something I'm that wasn't something I was very good at in this particular instance. Um, so it was a challenge in the sense of I, I had to really work at it. One thing, one thing. I kind of want to, way earlier in the conversation, and I, and then I want to get back to what Elias was saying about um, kind of the the scriptural and and the implications for us as, as Christians. But one thing on the on the things like mementos or uh, anything that brings us memories. Um, just as an aside, a solution that I, I can't remember if Marie Kondo mentions this in her book. Uh, but one thing, my wife and I have been making an effort to do is, we got rid of a lot of mementos and things we didn't need. But we set aside ones that we could display. So if it could go on a wall, say in a picture frame, if it was a picture, or maybe it's things like, like I mentioned those movie tickets, could it go in a little, um, make, make a pretty collage out of it, I don't know. Um, things that could fall into that category. Or one thing that I've really struggled getting rid of, I have these t-shirts um, from high school, like uh, racing t-shirts, these t-shirts from plays I was in, just things like that really, I associate a lot of memories with those things. And those are pretty much the only things I have from those memories. Um, so we set those aside and I'm going to get those. You can buy little t-shirt boxes and show like the images on there. And then they look like pictures, but it's a, it's a t-shirt in there anyway. Like you'll see those in coffee shops and stuff. Uh, so that's one one thing I want to invest in is be able to actually display those instead of them sitting in a box, right? Same thing for my college paraphernalia, my racing year and that kind of stuff.
2: Um, yeah, Marie and I, are we've got just piles of memorabilia right now. We've got down to the memorabilia that we want. Uh, it's just in random boxes and random piles in our bookshelf in our office. Right. And so we, we need to start scrapbooking or something. We need to get these in a way that it's easy to go through them and to enjoy. Um, exactly. Unfortunately, I don't know when that's going to happen.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, finding the time for this is, is its own challenge. Um, so I think there are, there are solutions if, if, if you're thinking, man, I never look at this thing, but I don't want to get rid of it. Well, how can you display it in your home would be part of my question. What, what utility does memor- memorabilia have? Well, it has no utility if it's hidden away. You know has utility when you take it out and look at it um so kind of on that note getting to the scriptural side of things one thing i've i've thought about a little bit um so the the title of this episode being faithful in the unrighteous wealth um so I, i'm going to read the verse that's from that was luke uh 16, 16 11. 11 yeah thank you so elias elias brought this verse and wanted to discuss it so luke luke 16 11, if then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth who will entrust you to the true riches um
2: yeah just or who add... will
1: entrust to you the true riches i misread that but I. so i think that's important but also i was thinking of parable of the talents you know the and on the idea of hiding things away versus using those things Right? The one servant that hides his talent um that his master gives him, that he it, it's taken away from him. The servants that go and utilize those talents they have um, are multiplied and, and grown, right. So that I think in some ways that that's maybe a bit of a stretch, but it's a, a bit of an application I was thinking about on this side as well. So Elias, what was that? You wanted to comment on Luke sixteen?
2: Oh, I just wanted to say, uh, give a little context that this this verse is coming right after the verse of being, if you're faithful in the small things, you'll be faithful in a lot. And if you are uh, unfaithful in the small things, you'll be unfaithful in much. Um, and so that's where the idea of faithful in the unrighteous wealth. So when you're faithful with the things of this world that in the end don't matter, then you can be trusted with the things of true importance. So don't don't want to confuse anybody and make people think that we're here advocating for unrighteous things.
0: <laughs> and and to to stretch it even farther, just to see the bigger picture. Uh, the the verses that we're looking at, in particular, um, are coming right after the parable of the uh, dishonest manager. Right, the man who uh, has this huge debt against his uh, his master, and the master forgives him the huge debt. And then the man turns around and, and demands the, you know, the much smaller debt um, from the servant under him. Um, and the the point of the parable, right, is, you know, if we have been given this great love uh, from God, if we've seen this great wealth of riches of God's love and grace in the death and resurrection of Christ, how much more then uh, should we in turn love our neighbor, love those around us? Um, and so there's a, a, faith-based element to this that i think is really important to to bear in mind but then right after that we have uh the law and the kingdom of god um laws about divorce and remarriage uh and then the very uh bizarre um and i have no idea how and how to interpret um scene with the rich man and lazarus um if you guys dare to, to jump into those waters you're braver than i um but the point i think is like this isn't this isn't just a passage about physical things, right? This is very much a passage about spiritual things. Um, but I think there is implications of um, you know if if we're seeking to to love one another well uh, with this love that has been given to us, um, then that's going to apply to every element of our life, right? Um Elias, you and I I think share a a, a little love of uh, things Japan, um particularly. Uh, I've been interested lately in the samurai. Uh, I think I mentioned it on here on the show, but I was I was reading um, the the samurai handbook, the Hagakure, um, which is fascinating. Elias, have you ever read that?
2: I haven't. I have another one called The Sword and the Mind. Um, that's not as broad as that one, but I've read Bushido
0: stuff. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So um, in the Hagakure, it's it's essentially like it's written at. A, at the last in the last days of the samurai uh and by an old samurai basically telling everyone this is what the samurai were like um and one of the big things that he points out is that everything that you do as a samurai uh, reflects on your code on your way of life um and so even the even the smallest of things demonstrate to the enemy whether or not you've been faithful um, and whether or not you're, you're living true to your code. So one example he gives, uh, in the book is he says, um, do not go into battle, um, unshaven for if the enemy finds you fallen dead, uh, with stubble on your face, uh, they will know that you have been unresolved in this thing and you will die with shame. Um, which is pretty extreme. Um, you know, like it's this tiny thing you didn't shave in the morning. Um, but for the samurai, that was like, hey, he failed in his duty here. Um and I think I think, you know, Christianity has much more grace than that, right? Like we don't need to freak out if we've if we've, you know, if we die and go to heaven and and you know, St. Peter is like, hey, you've got a little bit, something on your chin there, bud. Um Or in my know, case, a lot bit. Or a lot bit, right. Um that's not the issue here. But what is the issue is the samurai, you know, if they did nothing else well, they were masters at living a life fully dedicated to what they believed, right? There's no part of a samurai's life that you can look at and say, well, he was inconsistent in this way,
1: right? Um, To the point that- At least the ideal samurai. I mean, there were- Right, yes. Right, there were plenty of of samurai that didn't live to the standards, but there were clear standards to say they didn't live to those standards.
0: Exactly, right. Um, To the point that one of the, my favorite thing about the samurai so far in my reading has been um, this idea of the final moment of resolve so, uh, samurai were supposed to meditate upon the moments of their death um, for like an hour every day. Just ha- think about how you're going to die, um, and when you die, our how next will challenge. <laughs> Not yet. No, no, no. Um, but the idea was that you have to be ready for this moment of death, so that whatever happens, you can have one final moment of resolve. Um, and it was it was insane. Um, the the famous example that they give was one samurai. Um was attacked by two of his he was betrayed by two of his friends. um and they came upon him. they came behind him and they went to they went to stab him and cut off his head, so they chopped off his head. and before his head had hit the ground uh the the dying samurai pulled out his sword and killed his attackers. and then you know his his head lies there on the ground. so he they cut his head off and before his head hits the ground, he kills them both something like that. Um, and it was the kind of thing but where this is was that like, possible? how do you, I, I don't know, but this guy, that's, the, said, story. that's, the, that's story. the story. And they said he had witnesses. So I I'm choosing to believe that it actually happened because that's amazing. Um, but I, I think one of the things with this challenge that I thought was important to recognize was, you know, if we have been loved, in this way, you know, if we've, if we have been forgiven this great debt as the, as the servant has in this, in this parable, you know, what does that look like, uh, in every element of our life? Cause right. We're not, it's not that we're trying to, it's not, we don't have to keep our room clean in order to get into heaven. Right. Uh, but I think it is true that since we have been saved, since we have been loved, we should have a certain, um, respect for, the world around us, a certain love for the world around us um, in which we are willing to demonstrate the love that has been given to us um, and to pour that out, you know, like an overflowing cup uh, onto other people um, so that there's no area of your life um, that someone can look at and go, well, that hasn't been touched by, you know, the grace of God. I don't know. Does that make sense? What do you guys think? It's a long, long stream of thought. So just kind of making
1: sure I understand, coming from this idea of being responsible with little, so you can be responsible or faithful with much, that requires a basis somewhat like the samurai that dwell every day of their lives on this particular moment. In their case, they're dwelling on that final moment, death. And for us, i mean it's kind of poetic we dwell we should be dwelling every day on the fact that we have life right and so we should live our lives in such a way and in doing so that gets back around to we we can then grow in our ability to be faithful with that great thing
0: right and life by christ's death and resurrection right like it's not just oh we have you know we're alive now it's we have eternal life through the death and resurrection of the god man Um, and I think that's, if, if we recognize the truth of that, then that has a powerful implication for how we live our life. The question, how does that help me clean my room? (laughs) Uh, well, for, for me reading this passage and Elias, I don't know if you want to jump in on this. Um, but the thing that I think is, well, is it, who am, who am I loving if, if my room is untidy? who who am I loving if I'm, um, you know, all my clothes are on the floor and the dishes are undone and I'm not utilizing the space well, you know, it's me. I'm, I'm the center sure. of attention there. I think Elias had a great point by saying, you know, the way that he visualized his living room space was to make it hospitable, right? Uh, to make it so that he can have other people over. Um, and I think like for me, that was one of the biggest things that I came away with was um, I want to have the, my house be in a state where, you know, no matter what day of the week it is, if somebody needs to come over, somebody wants to come over, I can feel comfortable saying, hey, yeah, come on over. There's, you know, there's plenty of space. There's food in the fridge. Uh, You know, if you need to use the couch for a bed, great, you know, Um, but to feel like I can do that at a moment's notice, I think is that element of being ready and willing to serve and love somebody else because I have been loved. But also, it's like you know, I'm living with my with my wife. Uh, it's not very loving if I don't do my you know do my turn with the dishes once a week, that kind of a thing. Elias, what do you do? You agree, disagree? Does this match up with what you're thinking?
2: Yeah, I, I, I do uh, agree a lot, and I think it also you know has to do with a couple of other things as well. You got you know that Kyprian idea of. Ev- Everything is Christ. Christ has claimed dominion over everything. And we tend to think about that in terms of politics and government uh, and the church. But it also applies to your dresser drawer. It applies to the shirt that's in the very back corner that you haven't worn for two months. Like That's Christ as well. And everything should be redeemed. And if you're not taking care of your stuff, you're not redeeming it. You're not fully doing the work of bringing about the kingdom of God. Um, And I, I think a little bit, and it's good. We've been gotten lost in the, the sort of spiritual, well, we should do it because God says we should do it sort of idea, which is true a hundred percent, but also there's practical benefits to this as well. You know, if you, you know, Marie Kondo says that tidying up should not be a daily occurrence. It should not be something that you do every day. It should be something that you do once a year. It should be a big event. Um, but if you do her method right, you don't spend every day doing it. So if you're not spending every day tidying up, what are you able to do instead? If you know your desk is clear and you don't have to think about everything that's on it, all of the papers that you haven't gotten around to, Uh, the books that you've just set down on there and haven't gotten around to reading, all of those distractions are gone. What could you do with that mental space as well? So it's, I, I want to, you know, reiterate that it's, it's not just, you know, for some lofty ideals, These, these ideas have practical purpose and all things considered are pretty easy to implement. And something that I really enjoy about Marie Kondo is this is a once-a-year thing. I, I sometimes find that it's a lot easier to get stuff done that I know I should get done if there's a whole day around it, you know? I find that, like, if I say, okay, Saturday, Saturday the thing is going to be we're going to get work done outside. You know, we're going to do the guardian thing. We're going to do uh, the lawn. You know, if I make a big deal out of it, it becomes a lot easier to get done because I don't put something else in that space mentally. I've been planning on this ahead of time. And so Marie Kondo encourages that sort of, you know, this is an event, this is a special time. So, um, with your wife or, and you know, your roommates that you're living with, make it a big deal, get pizza at the end of it as a reward. And because it's such an intensive process, you really have to commit a whole day to it, which I think really, you know, makes it easier to get done i don't know if anyone else feels the same no, way
1: i i like that that makes a lot of sense where you kind of have a you set up these these themes in your lives or in your life and and you work through it and you're you're living out the the spiritual stuff we're talking about you live out the the calling that we are called to um and as with anything that that the Lord commands, there's a reason He commands it, right? He doesn't just command that we should walk around feeling pious in our hearts. Everything He commands has a practical reason on on this on this earth. Like we are human, and He designed us that way, and so we should we should seek to live out everything we do in that practical sense. So I really like what you're saying there.
2: Yeah, and Banjo, I remember you saying. Um talking about when we were discussing the idea for this last challenge, the idea of, um, being in the traces. And like, I really feel like Marie Kondo is, is a great way, you know, cause you can get stuck in, in bad traces, bad habits and routines. And this is a great way to just refresh that whole playing field. Uh, you reorganize the living room, it's a whole new space and you're kind of excited about it again and you want to take care of it because you're like, oh, this is new and fun. Or your desk is finally clear of all the papers. You now, you now are kind of freed from that mental burden and can get put yourself on the right tracks and start building those you know, helpful habits, those helpful ruts.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's a really good, a really good point. And that, that, that idea from the call of the wild of of just, you know, doing that good and blessed labor. Uh, You can only do it if the traces are clean, you know, you can only work if your equipment is clean. And I keep, I don't know if you guys ever do this, but I, I collect all of, you know, when I'm working on writing projects, anytime I have an idea, I write it down on like whatever napkin or, you know, loose piece of paper I have handy at the moment. And then I just pile them up on these different places around my house so that I'm like always able to write on them. But then my wife points out that they just sit there and uh, I think I'm getting inspired. I think I'm having a great idea, but I'm just a hoarder. I'm a hoarder of my own ideas, which is maybe the most narcissistic thing I could say, I think out loud. Um, but now with her help, I have I have taken them, I have thrown them away and, and I have a clean, my typewriter's out and I've, I've got a clean slate, a clean bill of health.
2: Well, you keep some of them at least. You know the ones that you're like, "That this is this is something worthwhile."
0: Yeah, there's 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 a few there's a few. Most of them I've already transferred onto my onto my computer, which is a great place to keep out the uh, the clutter. But there's yeah, there's still there's still four or five left that I said no, I got to write this down. Now I just now I just actually have to do It's the main thing.
2: Yeah, and that's you know something that I didn't talk about in the Marie Kondo method is she wants you to bring everything out. And go through it and look at it and hold it individually, really like give it the time of day, give it the respect that it deserves so that you can accurately judge if it sparks joy. You know, I I have found clothes that I love that I forgot that I owned. Uh, and in that same way, I can absolutely imagine how you go through those story ideas one by one, you're like, I for I forgot about this one. This is something that I need to get on. ASAP because this is a really good idea but I'd forgotten about it because it had just sat in these piles around my house and I didn't remember about it I got distracted by other things
1: well I think that's a great place uh, to wrap up this portion of our conversation we're going to jump into the next challenge or talk about the next challenge and then we'll be able to continue aspects of this conversation uh, in two weeks so I'm excited kind of having a two-parter here focusing on a couple different things it's big all right um so this next challenge let me take a look at it here i I, we had to workshop this one a little bit uh but again challenges last for 10 days simple daily tasks to grow us as men um and this challenge i i have uh what I have written down here is, uh, keep track of the ads that you see, especially the ads that work and consider whether what you purchase, um, had to do with that ad or had to do with an ad at all. Um, so just, I want to have a quick little five minute discussion about the why on this challenge and kind of what we're looking for out of it. Um, and then we'll be discussing it in two weeks. So I, Elias, we, since we're going to be talking about consumerism, we, uh, are hoping to get some of that out of out of or hoping to become more aware of of that out of this what as we do this what are your what are your thoughts on just very broadly consumerism and kind of what we're talking about here in terms of the clutter in our lives but how do, how does that transition into the consumerism side of things
2: yeah i i think um the transition between from recondition to consumerism, uh, is, is pretty straightforward. Stuff is is not the enemy. We're not trying to purge ourselves of stuff, but we want to make sure that the stuff that we have is stuff that number one actually brings us joy or some sort of utility, uh, and number two isn't wasting away somewhere. You know, um, I don't know how common this is for you. I don't. It's not super common for me, but there's been a whole series online from different creators that i've seen about here's all the stuff that i bought when i was in a depressive mood here's all the stuff that i bought on this random spree and so it's not we're not anti-stuff but we don't want to just accumulate stuff to accumulate stuff we want to accumulate things that bring us joy
1: hmm so Uh, so those youtubers you're or the these these creators you're following, you're saying that, that they're doing it purposely and that's good, or it's the opposite? They're, they're just buying stuff because they are. They're buying
2: stuff because they can. And buying stuff in and of itself has become an activity for people. Right. Which is relatively new. Um, and so it's not necessarily about the items. Mm. It's about the process of getting the items. And I'm not going to say that's bad. I... There are a few things that I enjoy more than tracking a package that I've purchased on Amazon. It is satisfying. But you also want to make sure that that item, once it gets there is something that you actually want. And advertising is one of those things it's gone from being something that is to inform you of a product to help you make an informed decision and actually become something to manufacture demand where demand right. didn't exist
1: before. Well, and and, and this will go to our um, the conversation banjo and I uh, banjo and I had maybe was it two episodes three episodes ago now now about technology so. and and the data um that is being used on that side. So I I'd be interested to kind of recap that conversation in 2 weeks as well.
0: I think the other thing to think about and and the thing maybe that I'm, I'll be consumed with but um, um, as we as we think about it, is, um, you know, what are what are these ads actually selling? JJ just got that, by the way. That took him a minute. He just got it. Um, you know, what are the, what are these products actually selling? You know, it is so rarely is a ad nowadays actually just here's a product and this is what you can have with it. You know, it's not just uh, you know, here's a new set of tires and you can drive your car. It's always Here's a new set of tires, and now you have freedom. You know, you can go wherever you want on our tires, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, they're, they're promising this, this subconscious thing, um, and I think it's really important to learn to be aware of those things, um, that we're not buying products, we're buying philosophies, we're, we're buying psychologies, um, and, and what, are, what are those things that we are buying into? right um what are the things that work what are the ads that work on us and what are the subconscious things they sell that we really desire well and and why do we want them right that's important i think we'll,
1: right. we'll go towards the the spiritual side of that conversation of why do we want the things that we want
0: but that's for next week
1: well thanks elias for coming on um for this episode i really look forward to continuing aspects of this discussion uh i'm i'm excited to talk about consumerism i know it's something that we've both we've been having conversations about uh offline for a while and I, i'm i think it'll be good to kind of recap some of those and, and get get to a
2: point where we can reach a, a good understanding
0: yeah thanks for coming on elias
2: absolutely thanks for having me it's it's been an absolute blast <laughs>
0: This has been the Forging Honor podcast. Music and production is by Elliot George. For more information about what we do, or to learn how to get involved, visit our website at forginghonor.com. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to like, subscribe, and give us a rating to bring others into the Forging Honor journey. On our website,
1: you'll find information on how to do the challenges alongside us, as well as links to the resources we mention
0: in the show. And we do make a small amount from any purchases you make through our website links, so thank you
1: in advance. Thanks for taking the time with us today. We hope you'll take up the work alongside us and join us in the task of Forging Honor. We'll see you next time.